This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. Brought to you by Nostril Breathing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back two episodes and listen to our awkward halting intro in which I surprise Eric with the subject of focused nostril breathing as a way to relax enough so that you can do a podcast with him. But it didn't work. I'm sorry. Am I disturbing you? I see you're going through some pages on your end there. I'm sorry. I can I still just see you. We're going to talk about like if we're going to have a history lesson. I ought to be <laughs> well, taking notes. I was looking for a blank page in my notebook. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Rice. Some people do podcasting because they get along. We do podcasts together because we don't. No, I'm just kidding. We totally get along. We love doing this. Even though we're still doing this from home, we are still continuing to record during the... But we do this uh, what, all the time. To, uh, we, you we all just all get to time. hear an hour of it. Like, every phone conversation is really just another podcast that you didn't get to hear. Throughout the pandemic, I would say we talk every day at like 5.30 p.m. And we talk for, on average, about two hours. Which is yeah, longer that's than fair. our actual podcasts. It is, but it could be, if we would record it, we would have two episodes in the can. So maybe we should look into that. Yeah, I think it might be a little personal for uh, broadcast <laughs> purposes, but you know, like no I'm good, I'm good to go. Yeah, we'll see. I you don't. Some of my for, crap. I don't know about a thrill, but maybe a little like, oh wow, TMI. That's what you were in for. A little TMI. TDPS presents TMI. I, it's got a nice ring to it. I think we're going to roll with it. But yeah, that's not I, I what can we're doing it. today. We're not doing that today. We are doing a volume. We are doing volume two of a relatively new segment here at TDPS presents. It's based on a relatively old segment from the dinner party show. That's correct. Brandon, cue the intro. And now it's time for another edition of what's science. Ah, little Jordan. Don't we love him? Jordan. Always nice to hear his. Fluous tones. I don't know if they're mellifluous, but they're fluous. <laughs> fluous. Fluous Jordan. If you want more Jordan, go dig into our archive at thedinnerpartyshow.com and check out some of the episodes of our you original don't have podcast. To go far. You don't have to go far because Jordan is loud, visible, and always in your face, but he's not actually on the show today except for that intro, which we love using. I sometimes just go back and listen to the night before Jordan, which I think is the first thing on the, the, the the archive list for the dinner party show. It's that recording we did of, uh, it was the night before Christmas, but it was our own dinner party show version. And there's a long exchange with Jordan at the opening that I always love hearing. If you don't know what the dinner party show is, because you joined us recently, it was, 
It was the celebrity interview sketch comedy show that we did for several years, and the archive is available at thedinnerpartyshow.com. And, hundreds uh, of episodes. Hundreds and hundreds of episodes. So many Surely interviews. take care of August if you're still quarantining. You're, you've got, we've got you covered for August with just the back episodes of The Dinner Party Show. That's correct. However, today we're doing something different here at TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. We're doing what science is the intro already told you. But if you don't know what's what science is, it's a tongue twister that Eric thought of just to screw me up during the beginning of the podcast, didn't you, Eric Shaw Quinn? That's what's, right. What's what science? Eric and I are going to face off, although that's a terrible way to describe it because I don't think either one of us was really taken with the episode of television that we had to watch to prepare for this episode, but we divided up and Eric went and watched one episode of a show called Forbidden History. Right. We find what seems like one of those wacky mysterious television shows. Uh, Last time it was... Uh, mysteries at the national parks, but we called it mysteries of the national parks as though, right. how is there a Yellowstone park? Um, was a mystery <laughs> when really it was, what are those, uh, ghosts at, at old faithful? Um, yeah, <laughs> that's a good summary of it. Or are those tall people, those hikers saw ancient Lemurians. That was, I think the focus of we're mine. obsessed with our bathroom habits for some reason. Yeah. That was very weird. So we found a weird series called Forbidden, Forbidden History. History, which you've been calling Unbidden History all week, and now it's yes. going to confuse me. So which I'm is, glad but, we're entering confused. But that was kind of my overall take on Forbidden History, but we'll dig into that. We're facing off against Forbidden History, or Unbidden History, depending on what you want to call it, more than we are each other, I think. Yeah, I think we're, yeah, the truth. We're facing off against the truth, or... But let me, let me add this. We are not professional skeptics. We want to believe, but we also want compelling, coherent evidence. <laughs> or we want complete whackdoodles declaring stuff that is the most ridiculous thing possible based on the most spurious, thinnest, and unsupportable evidence that you could possibly imagine. That's actually my particular favorite. What was that show called where they were theorizing that the Bermuda Triangle was actually a black hole? And I think that's so what good. it was called. It was so The Bermuda like, Triangle is actually a black hole might well uh, have been the title. It was something like that. And they were like, you know, it was just a very little black hole. And I was like, that so completely misunderstands the entire concept of a black hole. If there was just a little bit of black hole in the Atlantic Ocean, the entire Earth would be spaghettified and sucked through into nothing and molecular oblivion. I just, it was like, but they kept talking about it like just a teaspoon of black hole or what. I was like, (laughs) really, that's just not a thing. But they said it was such that it was really brilliant. It was really funny. So I, I'm okay. They with sound that too. like they could use some focused nostril breathing on that I, show. This I has been another advertisement be for help. focused nostril breathing. No, yeah, I think, but I, I, I'm going to get a little self righteous and political. I know it's going to set you back. It's going to be so out of character for me. But I, and this is, I'm not diving into my episode because I actually want you to go first because last time we did what science, I went first, and we're all about being fair here at TDPS. It's got to be fair, really. Eric liked things fair. I'm no, not sure I just I don't want to go on first. For that, oh, okay. I don't want to go first. I want you to go first. But before right, you whatever. get into it, and before I get into the 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 grist 
of of my episode or your episode. This did wasn't as fun for me necessarily because we're living through a period where people are actually dismissing science and the scientific method with with grave consequences for people <laughs> and listening to these whack jobs do it, even though it was on these sort of uh, fringe topics, if you will, actually kind of pissed me off because the disrespect for how the scientific method actually works or should work in favor of conspiracy driven thinking was like, Ooh, this is hitting a little close to home. Did well, you feel that way? You too? know what I always say is that really, um, People have been this stupid all along, but now there's just one really big topic on which they're focusing their stupidity. And so it's mm. a lot more obvious that the, how many right. stupid people there are. But really, that's always the case. And people are always denying science and always acting like there is somehow some problem with uh, and coming up with these outrageous theories because people, I think people come up with them because they want a simple explanation that they can understand for a complex issue. And I certainly think that's what's happening currently. Um, But I think it happens all the time. It is a lot easier to think the moon is cream cheese or that the world is flat than it is to actually put yourself through the mental rigors of figuring out what is actually the truth and how scientifically that is true. I need to stop you right there. Did you say the moon is cream cheese? C-R-E-A-M? Yes, I did. Is that the old joke? I always thought they were saying green cheese. (laughs) Is the moon green at your house? (laughs) I'm so glad I weighed in on the mass stupidity of everyone around me. (laughs) I mean, I think it makes as much sense as saying the moon is green cheese as it does the moon is cream cheese. It's still perfectly ridiculous, but the moon isn't green, and I don't know what green cheese is, and I do know what cream cheese is. So so I would... Uh, you could say the moon is brie. Brie is round and white. So let's go with that. The moon is the moon brie. is brie is actually the, the is name of the jazz of album I recorded in college. The moon is Kevin brie. It's, uh, you can download it on iTunes or at the dinnerpartyshow.com. Yeah, I um, yeah, what you said. I mean, really, that's it. Really? Like this, this search for a Do simple you still explanation. What that was? But no, it's the search for a simple explanation, yes, right? It's absolutely. like and, and a simple human driven explanation and this is something we talk about a lot of the time when we talk about conspiracy theories you were actually just saying it before we hit the record button we were talking about something else you have to believe and i don't know if your episode dealt with this but mine dealt with a cover-up right they kept saying there's there's a cover-up of this a there needs to be a compelling motive for why the cover-up is being conducted in the first place other than somebody just doesn't want you to know something um but b the number of people who have to keep the secret for the cover-up to stay in force was enormous. You were just talking about something you saw on television. Yeah, I was. I, I saw recently on on uh, John Oliver's show. He was talking about somebody. I'll have to get more information on it. I would like to read up on it, but they've come up with an actual arithmetic, arithmetic formula. Um, I almost said arithmetic formula. Um, <laughs> which is kind of the same thing except stupider um, that uh, that the, that it is directly correspondent to the number of people who would have to keep the secret as to how many people um, are involved 
right, as to how long mm-hmm. the secret can be kept. Their their example was in order to the the, the, the conspiracy theory that uh, the the trip to the moon was fraudulent, that it was all staged. They said in order for that to be true, at least 411,000 people would have had to have stayed silent. And by their calculations, they thought that that would have lasted about 3.68 years, about three and a half years before Hmm. the secret, before the truth came out. Their other, their converse example was the Edward Snowden thing with the NSA, which you know, all of those people had to keep secret what the NSA was up to, and you see how long that lasted. Like, mm-hmm. it is it is very hard to keep a secret with that many people involved in it, I think, is really sort of the underlying common sense explanation. But they've actually developed a formula, and I don't know what it is, and like I say, I'll have to do more research on it, um, that determines, based on, you know, what the, the, the ratio is of how many people as to how long a secret can be kept. Okay, with that in mind, let's get into your episode. You're going first, really? right? So You think yeah. that's going to mm-hmm. apply to my episode about real, are vampires real? I just meant we should have like one coherent, intelligent thought in mind before, before we talk we start, about this. We just because d- we don't diverge. want our head to be completely filled with crazy and nonsense. So, uh, Eric, what was your, your episode was Bloodlust, Real Vampires. That's season two, episode six of Forbidden History. Take it away. Convince me, friend. Okay, well, um, in as sort of an overall picture of you know kind of a big top line takeaway, um, my analysis of my particular episode would be I got a rock. Um, you remember that Charlie Brown the Great Pumpkin ep- thing and uh, television show? No. Or special. I, I oh don't. yeah, it's the it's yeah. the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown and. Um, they go trick-or-treating and everybody's dressed in their costume and everywhere they go, after they go, go to the door and do trick-or-treat, every all the kids say, I got a payday, I got a Hershey bar, I got a Snickers, I got some peanut brittle. And, Pe- and Charlie Brown then says, I got a rock. And so mm-hmm. then they go to the next house and all, that's all Charlie Brown gets is a bag full of rocks. Right. So he probably lost weight while he was out walking from house to house where the other kids got... Um, tooth decay and fat. So he might have benefited um, overall from getting rocks, but um, he was still unhappy about it. And it was kind of how I felt about my episode. Like, <laughs> are you blo- implying that I got some great episode? I don't like, know. I haven't heard about your episode. <laughs> I'm going first, but I got a rock because All like right. it's a uh, bloodlust and uh, real vampires. And so I thought, okay, so we're going to talk about, you know, real vampires. Well, um, maybe the most interesting thing that anybody said during the entire hour long program was some unidentified guy in the opening sequence said, and I quote, um, interview with the vampire is misleading. (laughs) Let's sue them fuckers. (laughs) And what he was saying was that it departs too much from accepted mythology around vampires, which is like, I'm sorry, so it's entirely made up, but it departs too much from the accepted mythology around, uh, you know, that's sort of like, oh, what was her name um, on Fox News who came to NBC? Megan Kelly. Megan Kelly. Saying, kids, Santa Claus is white. Like, Santa Claus is fictional. What are you talking about so yeah his premise was that um 
there was too big a departure from um, accepted vampire mythology. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. <laughs> Then we went into a discussion with a number of, they weren't really whack doodle um, interviewees or um, experts or whatever, but they were kind of amusing. Like there was um, Andrew Gaw from Heretic. The, the he was in Heretic mine. Magazine. I was going to ask you. Okay. Yeah, he's in both of them. Lynn Picknett, who was the author of The Secret History of Lucifer. And I was like, it's a really poorly kept secret, but okay, (laughs) sure. There was a couple of people, like Richard Felix, who were introduced as authors and historians, but no book titles were attributed to them. Um, In general, it was a discussion of the fact that people are superstitious lunatics um, mm-hmm. And not really a discussion of whether or not vampires are real. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's apparently um, an enormous amount of evidence, big picture, of um, what they call vampire burials. Which mm. is where they dig up an old grave and they find that the the corpse has been staked to the um, the coffin... Mm-hmm. Right. Or in some other way altered, decapitated and the head placed between the knees, which I was like, blow yourself. I don't know what that's about. Um, uh, yeah. Or or that, um, you know, or other ways in which they would prevent the vampire from rising. Right. OK. Um, it seems like you wouldn't want to keep the head with the body. You would want the head to be like in Phoenix and the body well, to be in Romania. Apparently, according to the uh, National Council of Vampirism, accepted mythology is such that the ways that you can dis- disable a vampire are to stake it to the coffin so it can't get up from there, right? You really, uh-huh. the stake has less to do. And the like... You could stake it through the navel. They said that um, really staking it through the heart is a more recent kind of thought because it's more romantic and probably mm-hmm. more born of the um, Blam, Bram, Blam. <laughs> Blam, Blam Stoker. Stoker. The Bram Stoker um, Dracula and sort of after that. Um, but that but that more it was more about penning them to the, um, the coffin so they couldn't escape. Um, and then cutting off their heads or burning them. Those are the three ways that you can have done, that you can kill a vampire. Decapitation, staking, or um, or burning them. And okay. in mi- and many cases in the Middle Ages, burning them and then drinking the ashes, which is like, oh yeah, I'm not lining up. That's like, a, what was that? 
The X if Factor. If you like what pina coladas, <laughs> drinking ashes in the rain. Yeah, Is that where like, that song's from? Yeah. Yes, I I think that must be it. It was really, yeah, I thought that was sort of... Um, horrendous um one of the other things they brought up is that apparently vampires cannot cross running water i'd never heard that one before mm-hmm. I yeah thought that I, was this really... is really the if you're a seven-year-old boy school of vampire mythology like this is very lost boys more than than uh well anything what else. they were talking about was what most of these people uh, posited lynn picknett particularly went on the record to say that these were basically primitive superstitions that were mostly from eastern and southern southeastern europe bulgaria okay. romania czechoslovakia as she called but i don't think it still is that anymore the czech republic i think it is serbia that sort of range of the world and and um somewhere around the ninth century that in the middle ages it was really a much bigger thing um and she said that she went on to say that there had been some cases reported in the UK, but they were weak and really didn't amount to much. And I was like, well, um, shitting on British you. vampirism. That is so inappropriate. The thing that I the thing that they were talking about early on, which I found at least sort of like I thought about as they were talking because I was so bored, was in the Middle Ages, people were terrified of um, of vampires and uh, but there was a lot of way, things that you could buy that would um, protect you, um, that being garlic or religious paraphernalia as a couple of examples. You know, the church was selling absolutions and all kinds of other stuff. So it looked like a marketing campaign to me. Right. Like mm-hmm. like in and around that sort of horrible Catholic thing where they had you know, big uh, churches to pay for. So they were selling off uh, the afterlife to um, the superstitious public so that they could pay for their, you know, solid gold hats and stuff. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, so that was big during, they brought in a woman called um, Deborah Hyde from the skeptic magazine um, who probably had the most interesting things to say. She said that the legend began um, in the time period, particularly around pandemic death, an interesting topic, like from the plague Mm -hmm. and whatever, when there were around a lot of dead people and a lot of death. And it, um, and it was mostly based on a misunderstanding or a lack of understanding of the decomposition process that decomposing bodies do a lot of things including sit up i'm sorry what that's a thing wait what muscular contractions gases escaping but sometimes a decomposing body will sit up and blood comes out of its mouth like it's like it's a it is not a very it is not a sedate um process and if you have bodies that you haven't been able to bury or if you haven't I've been able to bury very well, there might be more um, unexplained activity from the corpse that would cause people to believe that the corpses were trying to come back. And she felt like that she was positing that um, that was where a lot of that came from. A lot of that belief Mm -hmm. in vampirism came from and how staking particularly really became a way of protecting yourself from vampires. Um, It evolved largely into apparently people um, believing that they were 
preventing vampirism. Like if you were worried that your loved one might come back as a vampire, particularly in Bulgaria and Romania, they would um, bury the, uh, the corpses with sharp objects like a sickle or a plowshare or whatever, so that if, you tr- if they tried to get up, they would, um, they would skewer themselves and uh, hence kill themselves in the process and disable the vampire. Or they would even, like, cover the face with rocks so that they couldn't, you know, to hold or, the head Or they've, down they've armed their future down. vampire. They've, like, given them a weapon. Well, I'm, I think their notion was that vampires didn't need weapons, that the, the fangs and drinking your blood... Um, was probably their, their bigger weapon, but whatever. Anyway, after a certain point, we then began to just explore vampire burials. Like we went to the Radovino Uh castle in Sozopol, Bulgaria, which is, Sozopol is apparently really a hotbed of vampire burials or the only place they went, but Mm -hmm. there were an awful lot of them. And, uh, they even in a museum there have, um, an example, an exhumed example of uh, a vampire burial, which is where they've opened a tomb and found that somebody has driven a plowshare through the heart of the, through the chest and heart of the suspected vampire so that um, they could um, prevent them from coming to back to get their loved ones or wreak other havoc on them. Um, Mm -hmm. They also brought in a woman named Heather Osborne, who I believe may be Kristen Schaal's um, twin sister. She sounded just like her, that sort of wonderful uh, uh, Lisa Simpson with an attitude kind of voice, Yardley Smith Mm -hmm. with an attitude kind of voice that Kristen Schaal has. Um, And uh, she was also credited as an author and historian with no book credits or any other author credits. (laughs) Um, And she said that there have been up to 500 burials, vampire burials, in the last five years. So this is not an ancient superstition. This superstition um, persists even into the modern day. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Bolzikaider Dmitriov, the uh, director at the Sozopol Museum, where they have that one uh, vampire burial that they've excavated, um, made it clear when asked about it that he was a scientist and so he was didn't believe in vampires, but, he said, Bulgarians in the past believe that good people went to heaven and that bad people stayed here on earth, which is why, so they would attempt to get up and um, come out and do make mischief, and that's why you had to stake them to the coffin. Or it was a belief okay. that that hell was here, and so that the bad people would just stay here. Um, and so their belief was that within four days of the death, you had to stab the body with iron, with something made of iron. Which uh, right, so let me let me just ask here. Was there any recognition that maybe zombie stories and now even werewolf stories all started here with these sort of old superstitions? Did anybody say anything about that? Well, they didn't say that in particular. Um, What they did say was that um, the Eastern European tradition of vampires was much more akin to 
a, a zombie tradition that okay. they were rotting, putrefied, disgusting, living corpses, right? Mm-hmm. Animate corpses. Um, that it wasn't really until uh, Bram Stoker married the folklore with modern Victorian romantic imagery, a count and a cape from a romantic um, Transylvanian, I don't know, province or wherever he was from. Right. Uh, that that we began to have what was the more modern um, version of vampires, the more sort of romantic figures. But so I would see that there was some correlation between um, between the the zombie, the idea mm-hmm. of zombieism and vampires. They, the only time that uh, werewolves came up during the whole interview was uh, at at, at a, a museum in England. They have found uh, they have purchased a. A vampire hunting kit that included um, a gun, holy water, crucifix, a wooden stake, and whatever. And the notion being that you would shoot them with silver bullets, but uh, okay. the general, yeah. but the general belief was that silver bullets were more tied to um, to lycanthropy, to um, mm-hmm. werewolves, than they were to vampirism. So that that's really the only mention of werewolves at all. Anyway, mm-hmm. so. Um, they went on about for a while about the um, the more contemporary burials in Romania and Bulgaria of like there was a particular case in 2004 where local farmer Toma Petra, uh, his family became convinced that he was uh, a vampire. So they because one of their relatives got sick after he died. So they dug him up and uh, burned his body and then the sick relative drank the the, the ashes oh, and she oh, got no. and she got better so you know did so we meet her the, did we meet the sick relative or is this all third hand this was all you know like yes. uh, i would say pretty much from the opening credits including mm-hmm. that thing about um the interview with a vampire being misleading um mm-hmm. that uh as opposed to fiction uh was um <laughs> bullshit I, I would say yeah. so. Right. I, but this, but the event actually happened, and they showed a picture of Mr. Toma in 2003 um, in Romania. A family uh, did something similar, and they were arrested. And just as a warning to would-be vampire hunters out there, interfering with a corpse is actually a crime. So if you mm-hmm. decide that you want to dig up somebody who you think is a vampire and stake their body. You to jail you go if they find out you've done it because it's uh, not really um, a good thing. They talked about an incident to the, to spite I think um, Mrs. Picknett from earlier, Miss Ms. Picknett, Doctor Picknett from earlier, from the author of uh, the the Secret History of Lucifer, who's really not been kept under wraps that I know of at all. Um, in the 1970s, there was a a vampire attack. They said reported in Highgate Cemetery, um, out, just outside of London, um, and then they never ever referred to the actual attack. Um, of the vampire at all. They just interviewed um, a lot of British people who apparently were speaking English as a first language, but still not very well um, about how they got stoned in a cemetery trying to do some sort of ritual and uh, think they may have seen something.
I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. So they interviewed this guy, uh, David, um, oh, what was his last name? David Tennant, that can't be right. Didn't he do the actor David Tennant's in this? Wow, times yes, are yes. tough. No, David Ferrant. David Ferrant, um, who looked like maybe he was still stoned from the 70s. Um, mm-hmm. And he had apparently seen a very tall man who there were um, other sightings of around that cemetery. And so he said, go explain that. How can you explain that coincidence that I thought I saw a tall man and they thought they saw a tall man around the cemetery? So that proves that it's true. And totally. then the scientific then, method at work. And then they interviewed Arrow, Draven, and Leah Benehoff, who are real vampires from uh, Slough, England, who um, drink each other's blood. Ew, okay. Um, And also the blood of people who they identified as donors. And uh, they brought back the lady from Skeptic Magazine who pointed out that you can overdose on iron from drinking blood and it also and it could ultimately cause kidney failure. So you should do so while it doesn't offer any benefits. If you do so, you should do it sparingly. Does she have a find, podcast, the lady from Skeptic Magazine? Because I, I don't know. We should find out. She actually, yeah. uh, she actually, seemed, Deborah Hyde, she actually seemed like she might be sort of worth listening to. Everybody else was just sort of saying whatever they needed them to say to move things along. Um, and then they interviewed John Michelson, who is a survivor of a vampire attack um, and is now a vampire hunter who would only be interviewed wearing a mask. And he said that there are currently 15,000 vampires living in the UK. Um, but what they are is really, and we moved right back to conspiracy theory, this um, evil cabal of very rich mm-hmm, jerks mm-hmm. who like to yes. traffic in human beings. They're part right. of the um, human trafficking thing and they're... Mm-hmm. Um, victimizing um, and drinking the blood of their victims who they've imported for just that purpose, sometimes killing them and then sometimes turning them back over to their human traffickers. And so he's terrified of them and they're very evil. But and but he didn't point out how there would be any benefit to being in this cabal. And since we've already learned that drinking human blood is actually um, hazardous to your health, it seemed like a really sort of strange and difficult thing. So in the end... Real vampires, the only real vampires were Draven and Leah, and they, you know, were sort of self-identified and Mm -hmm. didn't have fangs. They did have really interesting eye makeup um, Mm -hmm. and uh, seemed very much into each other, um, but it was really sort of a romantic kind of kink that they seemed to be into more than actually any sort of... They didn't talk about any of these sort of standardized mythology about being out during the day or anything. So it was kind of a bust for me overall. There was some interesting knowledge, but mostly from the skeptics and no real evidence of real vampires, which I would have found much more interesting to talk about. 
So I asked you last time we did what science, and I'm going to ask you again, even though I think I know what the answer is. Were you remotely convinced of anything that there was any open question raised by any of this? Well, honestly, the the vampire burial thing was an interesting sort of exploration of uh, superstition. Mm-hmm. And there was some interesting twists to vampire mythology that, you know, I have a fair amount of association with. So that's a special interest area for me. But uh, I think it was mistitled. Like, there was nothing about, like, not only was it not possible to not to have my skepticism challenged by this. Of course, I wasn't remotely convinced because they didn't remotely make any effort to convince me. So that was why I thought it was kind of a bust. Okay. Okay. Well, one bust deserves another. And that's why I'm going to serve up The Mystery of the Giants, which is another episode of Forbidden History from, I believe, an earlier season. And you love giants. I love giants but as i mentioned earlier this okay so the uh the crew for the show and was the host of your episode journalist jamie theakston was he also the one who was sort of going around talking to people with a ragtag camera crew i didn't i don't know him maybe so there was there was some guy who spoke to the um the museum curator in Bulgaria who seemed like he was actually interviewing people. And so maybe okay. that was him, but I don't My know. My episode had kind of a different structure. So Jamie Theakston shows up on the island of Sardinia because there is an individual journalist there, and I'm putting air quotes around journalist here, Marcello Palastri, who was convinced that there are multiple giant burial grounds on Sardinia, which date back to about 3,000 to 2,500 B.C. And so Jamie is arriving there to be convinced, essentially, and to be taken on a tour of these burial grounds. Now, right. they they also, Andrew Gao from Heretic Magazine, also in this episode, he is the voice of disreason, as I will call him. Um, okay. I think this may actually be Andrew Gao's series, or Heretic Magazine may have a creative role in this series. They give you some background on giant mythology in general, and they depict it as basically two warring camps, if you will. Not of giants, but of people who believe that there were giants. Some believe that they are the Nephilim, which are referenced in the Old Testament of the Bible and thought to be descendants of the gods themselves, although the use of plural gods in relationship to the Old Testament threw me a little bit, but the show doesn't really traffic in a lot of specifics and nuance, so I didn't get an explanation on that. I have to say the Old Testament kind of narrows it down as it goes along. Okay. So, yeah. The other camp believes that they are the Anunnaki. Now, have you heard of the Anunnaki? I have. They're, they are a race of giant aliens who came to Earth to enslave humans and basically turn the planet into a mining colony. Weren't and they ancient, in your last... Weren't, weren't they in your last What Science episode? I don't remember. What was my last What Science? No, no, those are the Lemurians. Very different. The Lemurians occupied a lost continent off the west coast of what could have been the United States. The Anunnaki came from another world altogether, and they're huge. Did, does Anne refer to the Anunnaki? Yes, Is that why I think I know so. It? I knew that I must so. be why. It was one of yeah. the two of you. Um, so 
this is this is presented as the sort of conventional understanding of what ancient giants may or may not be. Uh, they reference a book by a gentleman named Zacharias Sechin, and he is the sort of Anunnaki proponent. And they proceed to show his book cover again and again in a close-up that eliminates his name. So I don't know if Zachariah had a falling out with the producers, but his text gets referenced, but his name slowly or gets excised from the special. Or maybe he didn't write that book. Right, or maybe it was a, co- a group effort and the co-authors got in touch. Um, they're in a region of uh, Sardinia called the Paglia Arebi. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that. And th- throughout recent history, decades recently past, farmers have repeatedly made the claim that they have unearthed giant skeletons on their property while digging and such like and doing all sorts of things. Now, the first farmer that they speak to was very, very young when this happened, and he concedes that it may have seemed like a giant skeleton to him because he was about four years old, and most things were giant to him at the time. Okay? Yes. Not a lot of... uh, taken uh not a lot of attention paid to that little detail as we well apparently this. a lot of attention was paid to a four-year-old um yes if it had managed to get into the seep into the anyway go ahead the anecdote, they're, they're paying attention to the four-year-old now that he's going to appear as an adult on camera after some wine to tell this story yes um, so they begin seeking out these um Matt, they begin taking the host, Jamie, to these mass graves and they point out and this is you hear this again and again. You see it on ancient aliens. This idea that these rocks that compose these graves are too large to have been moved by normal human beings. Now, the skeptic explanation of this, which they don't get to, is that there were ways for moving these rocks. There were devices for moving these rocks that have been lost to time that have de- de- decayed, that this is more a function of our limited understanding of what their capability, their building capability was at the time. So there are these very large graves, but there are large numbers of human bones in them. So there's, you have to believe that the, they were originally built by giants, and then humans just began burying themselves in them in large numbers because the giants, I guess, eventually all died so, out. The skeletons aren't giant, but the stones near the skeletons are giant. Is that the theory? That is correct. And to indicate this, Marcello gets up on one of the giant stones and lies down on it to show you that the stone is larger than he is. That's, sort that's of the like scientific going analysis. Going to the cemetery in the garden district and lying on one of the mausoleums. Exactly. So, as we talk more about this, we start to get into the fact that there's some actual history here that might be able to explain all of this. That during the Bronze Age, there was a race of people who lived on the island and they were called the Neuragic people. And and established, agreed upon history posits that they were seafarers, healers, and astronomers who sailed here from, I think, the area of kind of ancient Greece or whatever. And they believed that bulls were sacred, and they carved bull heads into the sides of their tombs so that the sun would come through and project the image of a bull head on the opposite wall. There are all sorts of interesting things about the neuragic people that I would have loved to hear more about, but what's quickly becoming clear to me is that this seems like a translation issue, that they have various tablets and depictions of the neuragic people as being quote-unquote, great, because they conquered them, right? And they were more powerful and maybe a little bit more sophisticated, and they occupied their land for a while. And great has turned into giants in the literature or the tablets. Now, the tablets that they're using to draw these conclusions are very few and far between. So finally, I got excited because they were going to talk to an actual professor uh, from the University of Oristano, 
and he has spent his lifetime deciphering Bronze Age tablets of this source, um, of the sort. Excuse me. He has one in particular that's about the size of a human thumb, which he believes presents evidence of the existence of giants. So if you're going to make tablets about giants, it's best to make them really, really small. I guess that's what I was going to say. There's for. a yeah. tablet the size of a human thumb. So he he says that this is a scene. Do you remember the scene in L.A. story where it's they're in the museum and it's a close up of Steve Martin and he's going on and on about the painting that they're looking at? Look at the way and then she's it's just white. And then it's just white. That's what the scene with this tablet was like. He's going on and on and on about all the things the tablet shows. And here's a word. And then they show the tablet and it looks like, um, I don't know, like, like, a, like a little abstract design with squiggles and dots. Like I, I had no idea what he was, what he was even talking about. Um, so we then go to Andrew Gow, who's the editor of Heretic Magazine. And every time... Did he seem drunk? <laughs> no. He seemed excited and he seemed like willing to plug in the enormous gaps in their theories with conspiracy theories, right? This is when we're starting right. to edge into the cover-up stuff. And he says... Right. A teaspoonful of black, black hole. We have legends that come from a time, and this is a quote, before the media became exploitative. Before the media became... I, refer, I assume he's not referring to this show, which is exploiting the Sardinians. Or not intending to, but ironically, maybe right. he really is. But what he's saying is that these legends of giants come from a pure time when people had no reason to lie and everyone told the truth. It's, it's Again, it's another thing that drives conspiracy theories. There was a time of purity that has since been con- corrupted by evil humans or people with an agenda. Um, so then we get back to Jamie... And they say, he's going to confront the authorities. And I'm thinking, A, what is he going to confront them with? Jamie actually hasn't met anybody who's really convinced him of anything. And who are the authorities? Well, the authority turns out to be an archaeologist named Dr. Alfonso Stieglitz. And he basically says, oh, I should also add this, that every time there's voiceover, they go into what they describe as home footage and it's sort of jerky close-ups of statues in museums shot really close up to conceal how small they are. Uh, photos that they've already said in another part of the special are fake of giant skeletons being unearthed. It's just this mishmash of unidentified, um, contradictory, whatever. So we're talking to Dr. Alfonso Stieglitz, and he basically says the thing that I have been wanting to scream at the screen the entire time, which is, what is my agenda for covering this up? Because this is the story they're basically presenting at this point. Farmer finds giant skeleton, calls local archaeologist, gives them fragments, fragments go missing or are lost, right? So it's like, okay. Um, And so Alfonso Stiglitz said, why would I be deliberately, why are I or any archaeologist be deliberately losing these items? This would be the find of our career. We would be, if we discovered that there was a race of giants that were not currently well documented in the record yeah. of human evolution. Yeah, they would, would be Andrew, Andrew Leakey. Yeah. Yeah. They would be a very yeah. famous archaeologist. Right. And so I, I'm at this point, I'm thinking they're going to get there eventually. They're going to present a conspiracy driven motive for the cover up. But I, they're going a little too long for me. And I think that the, the archaeologist comes off actually really well and, and really intelligent. So then they go to a dentist, a local Sardinian dentist who claims he was brought a giant tooth, which he examined. And he says a, nor- a normal human molar is 20 to 25 millimeters. This tooth that he examined was 30 millimeters. 
to maybe 35 millimeters. And he said to have a tooth of this size, you would need to be two meters and a half tall. And he turned it over to an archaeologist. And wouldn't you know it, the tooth is missing. Now, he's in his office showing video no. of this tooth. Yeah, Those archaeologists. It's the big plot. So here's the part where the special tipped me over the edge into caffeinated, angry, pseudo-sanity. <laughs> they're, they're finally getting... So now they're... Okay, like... You, you either believe that every archaeologist deliberately lost or, or that men in black cars came and stole these giant teeth and these giant bones. And they, they cut to Marcello and he says, look, I don't trust the archaeologists because they don't believe me. And I was like, OK, you know what? <laughs> Here's the deal. I, I want to sit you down and I want to explain to you how the scientific method works. Right. You present evidence. The evidence is analyzed and studied and a conclusion is reached based on that analysis. Then other scientists need to be able to study the same evidence and replicate your results in order to prove that it's not an anomaly. What you are describing, Marcello, is bullying or cajoling a scientist into having your bias and then rigging it so that they only see the things in the evidence that you would like <laughs> them to see. I was like, oh. Anyway. Let me let me take a breath for a second because this Marcello he really so we should really not get involved in producing a an unbidden history type series. I would probably be um, you know up in everybody's face a little bit too much. So then we get to the real suspense, which is we're going to use a hidden camera Your to suspense? meet. Yeah, we're going to use a hidden camera to meet with a man who claims to have a bunch of giant bones. So. The hidden camera begins to float all over the room where they're meeting, indicating this wasn't actually a hidden camera. It was just a guy it was holding a very camera. poorly hidden. Right. It was hidden in somebody's hat. So he opens up his suitcase and I guess he'd just been to like the horse doctor or something. It was just ridiculous. The suitcase was just like overflowing with giant animal bones. <laughs> and to their credit, the special says our meeting with the bone dealer did not produce any compelling results and they move on. So. <laughs> now, Mar now Marcello says he's going to take them to a burial ground that he knows is really, they're going to find some giants. It's going to be, you know, he's going to, so they go and they make Jamie, the host, try to uh, crawl down ahead of them and he can't fit, but they try to depict the subsequent argument with Jamie and Marcello about whether or not he should keep going as if it's this suspenseful dramatic thing but it's really like if you and I were arguing about whether or not we could reach behind the washer dryer to plug something in it's like uh -huh. that level of drama so, <laughs> so he doesn't go down because he won't fit so Marcello right. and his translator go they go down ahead of him with a handheld camera they're down there forever. It's nighttime. They come back up. The translator's breathless. He's like, sorry, it took so long, but we had an, an, an amazing, it was amazing down there. And Jamie goes, what did you find? And they go, oh, just some small animal bones. But it was so cool. Like we were down, <laughs> we were underground, man. It was like amazing. And there, and you know, that was it. That was and that's the, the end of the episode of my life. No. So they go back to the editor from Heretic Magazine and he says, this is the conspiracy theory. Okay. It's pro-evolution people trying to cover up what might be evidence that contradicts the theory of evolution, which is the, the, what he calls the science of interventionism, right? And the science of interventionism, what? if you can call it a science, says we were basically messed with as a species 
by the Anunnaki or something equivalent, maybe the Nephilim or the, the Anunnaki, that they came down to Earth from somewhere else, screwed with our DNA, did something to us that advanced the culture, and then, of course, because they were so powerful and giant, they all died out, leaving almost no evidence of themselves other than these random whatever. That's oh, the so, theory. So the giants were the people who came down to intervene with us. That yes. interfered with us. I see. And so why would we have a... Uh, why would we have a vested interest in hiding evidence of this? Well, I don't know. It's in Andrew's mind, it's not a we, it's a they. And that's how all conspiracy theories thrive, from that sense of alienation and isolation. You, this powerful organization that you don't really know, but you only see the presence of, is responsible for this cover-up. The Consortium and, of Vampire Regulations. Right. And, and like, is I, there any organization on the planet that would be about that would be pro-evolution that has as much money and influence as the vatican does like that's the it's thing probably why it those, work those uk vampires that uh yeah. michelson was talking about yeah i i find almost everything to be evidence of evolution like the fact that like evolution doesn't deny the existence of neanderthals and they're mm-hmm. you know like it's a part of the overall process like we survived and these giants didn't. They're also apparently tiny versions of human beings that they they that they have found. Even right. Australopithecus was much smaller than who we are, but it was still the beginnings of the human sequence. So I think that's pretty spurious too. I, I don't I don't see how it would support or in any way endanger the theory of evolution for there to have been giants, even if they were giant Anunnaki. Yeah, I have to say, so, so here's one thing uh, uh, that was used to disprove the wild theory that, say, a megalodon, a giant prehistoric shark, could be out there swimming in the ocean. That the bigger you are, the more food that you need, right? Oh, right. And that there would be need, no fish left. Right. And, but you can't just eat a lot of fish. You need big fish. And if the other big fish are all gone, so are you. Because you, you starve, right? You can't make up for, in volume, little fish, what you could get out of one prehistoric I don't know. whale. Whales eat krill. That's true, but they but but sharks do not. Sharks are carnivores or whatever. So but maybe, maybe megalodon ate a lot of tuna. Maybe like but, like whales eat a lot of of krill. Are you going to go to work for Heretic Magazine? Am I going to lose my best friend to these people? No, <laughs> but I'm saying if you want to do one of these wackadoodle shows, that's the direction to go in, right. rather than saying that it's some conspiracy of people supporting this theory of evolution which is not a theory it's actually what fucking happened um (laughs) and you know and and so they're they want to suppress other evidence as though somehow that would endanger this theory that is really just a description of what actually happened on earth anyway um i was not remotely convinced (laughs) i'll bet since um, they never showed a single giant skeleton, why would you be? But I'll say this, at, you know, as with your episode, the the science around decomposition and how it may have given rise to the mythology of vampirism, I think this boiled down to a translation issue. That was my theory, is that they saw historical records which referred to these people as being giant, and they literally translated that word when it was supposed to mean conquerors or great or whatever, yes. and I left wanting to know more about the neuragic people who were talked about only and elliptically. And it may have even meant that they were tall. Yeah, of course. Of course, but how did you we know, get like, to two How meters? tall was Goliath? 
Goli- was Goliath a giant or was he just a really big guy? I mean, who knows? You could have just no been Urban evidence. Magic Johnson. All right, exactly. Like basketball right. player tall. <sighs> anyway, so I um you know, we're still smart. We still have our brains intact, even though we I have spend to an say, hour watching But we're show. also, like, enjoy watching um, crazy conspiracy theory shows sometimes. But this doesn't really count as them. I'm giving the um, sort of forbidden history kind of a fail. I don't know why it would be forbidden. And there wasn't any history. So the only thing that was really discussed for me was superstition. Like, mm-hmm. yours was a, a real-time a discussion of superstition and mine was a sort of historical perspective on the origins of superstition. But I think that it was not really what it purported to be. No, it wasn't. And I actually, you know, like I just, yeah. What chan do we know what channel this was on? Was this on the history channel? We streamed it. Know. So sometimes you get disconnected from what the channel is when you're streaming something on the internet. Like yeah, I we watched no one. Re- I, the travel channel was the um, progenitors that, of mysteries yeah. of, at the national park. So who knows? Maybe it was, um, discovery or Bravo. Yes. <laughs> They're going to all be on all of our scientists are going to be on watch what happens live with uh, Andy <laughs> Cohen later in the month. Anyway, next week we are back, um, to firmer ground. We're back with another installment of true crime TV club, true crime TV club. Yes. We're going to get back to hard sciences. If you want to read ahead, when by that we mean watch the episode which is absolutely not a requirement for your enjoyment because we want to serve it up in enough detail where you feel like you had if you even if you didn't the episode will even prefer it that way american nightmare the episode title is paradise lost it's season one episode three until then i'm christopher rice and i'm eric shaw quinn and you're listening to tdps presents christopher and eric Thanks. This is TDPS.